Welcome to the COVID What Comes Next podcast with Dr. Ashish Jha, Dean of the Brown University School of Public Health and a globally respected pandemic scientist and physician. Every week here, Dr. Jha will analyze events of the previous several days and offer his assessment and guidance for what lies ahead. I'm your host, G. Wayne Miller of the Providence Journal and the USA Today Network. Good morning, Ashish. How are you today? Good morning, Wayne. I'm well. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. A lot of things have happened in this country since we talked a week ago. Let's start with the riot at the Capitol last Wednesday. Uh, do you think that is likely or could be a super spreader event? We've already heard that two congresswomen are now infected and, and they believe it was because of what happened during the riot. Yeah, uh, I do uh, think that it's it, it could easily be a super spreader event. Look, what we know, right, we've one of the things we've talked about over and over again since October is that the virus spreads when large numbers of people gather indoors for extended periods of time and people are not wearing masks. Uh, that fits what happened at the Capitol perfectly, um, especially when the rioters, the uh, you know, the kind of when they broke in and, and then members of Congress and their staff were all secluded in spaces uh, that were pretty tight from the pictures that were around. And then the fact that some chunk of people chose not to wear a mask, which I think is uh, deeply irresponsible, um, just sort of shocking. I think that set up the risk for lots of people to be exposed. Um, again, I don't totally understand why uh, people chose not to wear a mask at that moment, but certainly very concerning for what what uh, might happen in the days ahead. In the Sunday New York Times, you had an op-ed calling for a lottery for vaccinations. Break that down for us. Yeah. Uh, so we had it was a two part suggestion. The part, it was the first part began with vaccinate everybody over 55. First, prioritize people over 55. And then after age 55, go to a lottery. And I'll tell you, it, it, it's, not a, it's not a set of recommendations we came to lightly um, because the problem is, and, and here's the issue. So I've been an advocate for vaccinating frontline health, uh, for obviously healthcare workers, but other frontline uh, essential workers. I've been an advocate for uh, really trying to target people who've had high levels of exposure. Uh, obviously, there's the issue of people with comorbidities. The problem, Wayne, is I have spent the last three weeks talking to state health officials on an ongoing basis. I've been, I've been doing that for months, but the last two, three weeks has all been about vaccines and recognizing that when they think about how they implement those ideas, how do you implement ideas for um, people with comorbidities or essential frontline workers? The implementation is going to really just kill us. They're gonna, it's going to slow us way down and it's not going to be done well. And as I heard story after story after story, I realized we were going to see a ton of gaming. We were going to not, we were going to go, it's going to be less efficient and inequitable. And I think a lot of us felt like this is too complicated. We got to get these vaccines out. Focus on elderly people first, because they're obviously the high risk. After that, just make it something super simple, like a lottery. And, um, and it won't be perfect, but it'll be much better than what is likely to be implemented. 
So I've been reading recently that mass vaccinations have started in, in different places in some athletic stadiums. Uh, I saw that Disneyland is now being a venue for mass vaccinations. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, we've seen lines of people waiting in Florida and so forth and so on with, with smaller stations. Give us your thoughts on that. I think on, on one hand, I think it's great. I think it's uh, really, really important that we have places that can do high volume. We've got to vaccinate a lot of people in this country and we got to get going. My take is, uh, so again, in these conversations, what's slowing down mass vaccinations is not enough supply. So there's this bit of a, a mental model of like, oh, the problem is distribution. We have plenty of supply. We don't. We have, the distribution is now kind of clogged up in nursing homes and all these little facilities and hospitals. And when I talk to health secretaries and I say, what do you need? They're like, I just want a large chunk of vaccines so I can set up these uh, major uh, distribution centers, these, uh, these major vaccination centers, and just start getting a bunch of people vaccinated, uh, which is why I've been really thrilled by uh, President-elect Biden's recommendation or suggestion that as, when he came into office, uh, he was going to take the 50 plus percent of all vaccines that are being held back and actually just send them off to states and, and get people vaccinated with the uh, idea that the manufacturing will keep up to make sure everybody gets the second dose. I saw overnight from the AP, and, and I think this is pertinent to what you just said. I'm going to read the lead of the story. I don't know if you've had a chance to read it from the AP or elsewhere, but it begins, the Trump administration is asking states to speed delivery of COVID-19 vaccines to people 65 and older and to others at high risk by no longer holding back the second dose of the two-dose shots, uh, officials said Tuesday. Did, did you see that? I didn't, but I think uh, just based on that headline, I'm going to go off the headline. Yeah. Uh, I think that's right. I think that's right. Here's the problem. Um, so first of all, let's be clear. Everybody needs two shots, no doubt about it. And people need two shots in a timely fashion. The issue has been that we have this fear that if we don't have that second shot with someone's name on it, waiting, um, that somehow there's going to be this national like collapse of manufacturing, and then we're going to have all these people out there with one dose and not get a second. I'm not so fearful of that. Manufacturing is going well. Uh, supply chains are working reasonably well. We can get vaccines to states. And right now, instead of sitting on half the doses, look, the way to think about this, Wayne, is we have probably manufactured close to 50 million doses of Moderna and Pfizer vaccines. They, have, they exist, they have been manufactured and are in vials. We've gotten about 8 million of those doses out. That's way too slow. So if we just start vaccinating people and, and trust that manufacturing will keep up, uh, I think we can get everybody their second dose on time and not worry about this. So you mentioned Pfizer and Moderna. I wanted to get your uh, your insights on the status of AstraZeneca and other vaccines in development. Uh, yep. Some have been used elsewhere in the world, but they're not yet approved in the U.S. And frankly, I don't know where they are in terms of use here in the U.S. So maybe you can bring us up to speed on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So AstraZeneca is one that I think a lot of us have been hopeful about. Uh, they've now run several trials and the data are a little bit messy. And so the FDA is really pushing them to do a, a better, cleaner trial here in the United States. And I, I support the FDA's decision on that or FDA's kind of push on that. And so I think AstraZeneca is 
probably several months away, at least two months away, if not longer. Uh, the one that's super close is Johnson & Johnson. And my expectation is that we're going to hear about results from the Johnson Johnson & Johnson vaccine in the next two weeks. Um, and uh, and the upside, there are many upsides of the Johnson Johnson vaccine. One of the biggest upsides is this a single dose vaccine. You only need one shot. And so from a complexity, from a number of doses, my God, it's going to be much, much easier. I think the challenge, Wayne, that I'm worried about, again, I have no insights into the data. I don't know the data. We'll see. I have, I have no, no inside information on the data. Um, but what I'm worried about is what if the Johnson & Johnson vaccine comes in at 80% effective? Now, in an, under normal circumstances, you'd say, wow, that's awesome. But what do you do with the fact that you have two vaccines that are at 95% and you have a third vaccine that's quite good at 80%? Do you not use it? Do you give it to some people but not others? There are going to be some very thorny, complicated issues in front of us if we end up with a, a Johnson & Johnson at 80%. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but I think that assuming that I'm right on timeline, that we get data in the next two weeks, um, I think it'll make an enormous difference uh, because it'll give us a third uh, set of vaccines to start using. And of course, when uh, when we do get the results, uh, we'll be discussing that here. I want to close with uh, a great audience question, and this comes from a Megan G. Heaney, and she writes, I am a scientific researcher at Brown University and Rhode Island Hospital. I've enjoyed listening to your podcast every week and sharing it with my scientific and non-scientific friends. I am writing today in frustration of those around me who refuse to or are hesitant to take the vaccine. I'm hoping you can offer some advice on how to approach these individuals. I understand that this issue is more related to scientific communication and public health as a whole, but how can we work towards communicating to our loved ones? about the safety and efficacy of this amazing research? Great question, and you'll have a great answer, I know. Well, I don't know, it's a hard question. It's a super great question, it's a hard question. Um, and I think of it in two ways. Um, there are some set of people who just are longstanding anti-vaccines, uh, sort of have some conspiracy theories about vaccines. And those are those are people we should engage with out of, uh, I think with respect and, and um, uh, and kindness, but they're not going to be moved by data and they're not going to be moved by science. Um, there are a lot of people who are hesitant. They're not anti-vaccine. They're not sort of, they, they're just hesitant because they worry about things like, boy, the vaccine development has gone very fast. What do we know about the long-term effects? How safe are these things? And those people, what I have tended to do or try to do is speak very openly and plainly and honestly about what we know and don't know, but also what we know openly, honestly, and plainly about the cost of not getting vaccinated. And the, the first thing I say to folks is there are a set of hurdles that we put on vaccine development that are really quite high because we want vaccines to be safe because vaccines, unlike therapeutics, vaccines are given to healthy people. And so we want to make sure the bar for safety is very, very high. And every single test that we have developed, every uh, milestone we have developed for vaccine uh, safety, these two vaccines have gone through all of it. So it's not like there have been any corners that have been cut. We have tested these vaccines as rigorously as any vaccine I can think of, maybe even more so. Um, so that's point number one. Um, they have been tested now in in 
40, 50,000 people in randomized trials. And now we've given it out to 9 million Americans. And so people say, well, we don't have much experience. We have a lot more experience with these vaccines than we do with most other vaccines that people get. Or to other drugs. I mean, therapeutics, we approve drugs on clinical trials of 200 people. And these vaccines have been tested on tens of thousands. And the other part is we really have now a clearer and clearer picture of the cost of getting infected. And that cost is not only that a small proportion of people die, but a good chunk of people end up having significant long-term effects. And so when I say to folks, like when people say, I don't know, but I'm not so certain what the long-term effects of these vaccines are, I always remind them most of the negative effects of vaccines and therapeutics become obvious in the first 60 days. And we don't know what the long-term effects of getting COVID are, but they are, all of the evidence right now suggests it's really potentially quite serious. So I think walking people through all of that, talking to them with respect, you know, there are people who get frustrated and call them anti-science. I don't think that's helpful. I don't think that's even right. Um, but I think engagement is the strategy, and that's what I have tried to do. Thank you. Uh, and to our audience, if you have questions for Dr. Jha, you can send them to GW Miller at ProvidenceJournal.com. Ashish, thank you. Stay safe. Always enjoy this. Always learn something. See you in a week. I look forward to seeing you in a week. And thanks uh, again, Wayne. And please stay safe as well. Be well. 